0: This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear Stephen Estock describe how churches can use small groups to develop disciples. Stephen is the coordinator of the PCA's Committee on Discipleship Ministries, This was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2019 General Assembly. Let's listen as Stephen Estock speaks on developing disciples through small groups.
1: I really wish we had like 20 hours or 20 days to tackle this topic because a lot of you guys are like, I want to put something in my pocket running out of here. Give me something practical to kind of chew on to leave with. And I I mean... Uh, Some training that I've been involved in the past, we do training for like three days or three years and all that kind of stuff. I'd love to do that today, but we want to give you our outcome. It's just a few things that you could wrestle with and take home with to your churches, to your men's ministry, to your, maybe to yourself that you're going to talk to in the mirror about your men's ministry, whatever, how that's structured in your church. Um, Relationships, relationships, relationships. Intentionality, intentionality. I think we forget about those two when you look at the life of Jesus, that he spent more time with his men, than the entire rest of the world put together. Why did he put his eggs in these 11 men's basket? One had a different purpose. Why did he do that? And why was his relationship, his curriculum, what? It was his life. So we want to look at that a little bit. So relationship intentionality. When I found out I was coming to St. Louis for GA There was a guy discipled in 93, 94, 95. He's a pastor at an EPC church up the road in Columbia. And so I texted him, I'm going to get with you. Hey, I'm going to come up early on Monday. Why don't we go to the game, St. Louis Cardinals game, Monday night and hang out? Intentionality. When you think about that word for your men, you know, what goes through your heart? And I want to show you just a little bit about when we look at the life of Jesus or even after him, the apostles. What is intentionality? And I think about Jesus, did he just hope that his guys got it, the guys that were going to take the gospel to the nations? For for example, um, what was his intentionality with evangelism? Well, he modeled and modeled and modeled and modeled. And then what did he do? He sent them out. He modeled and modeled. Jesus didn't do anything or ask his men to do anything that he hadn't already modeled for them. If that doesn't convict you, I don't know what does. I'll say that again. Jesus didn't ask his men to do anything that he hadn't already modeled for them. We have to model relational intentionality. Uh, we even look at, our love when Barnabas comes and takes Paul back to the apostles. Hey, I want this guy. You ought to know what this happened to this guy, the intentionality of Barnabas. I think of Paul, hey, come imitate me as I imitate Jesus. When he told Timothy, the things you've heard me say in a faithful man, that's what uh, Stephen just shared. I even love Paul's passion of intentionality for the church. Colossians, I want all people to be equipped, so I'm going to work hard, I'm going to toil that relationship and intentionality. So I wish we had a lot more time to spend time on that. And what I want to say is this. I, I feel like a lot of guys are like, hey, if you could just give me for my ministry like a six-week Bible study and this great curriculum, that'd be fantastic. And I think we forget that relationship and intentionality takes time, right? I love um, how when we think about discipleship, this I, I talk to churches around the world and they'll say, well, we have a 12-week discipleship program. I'm like, in 12 weeks, you can become just like Jesus? That is amazing. <laughs> I'd love to be involved in that. Or I used to disciple men, or I've been discipled. And I said, man, you must be going to heaven right now. because. <laughs> and, and they forget about that. So some examples are like this, like um, when Edinburgh Scotland went to the Scotch Museum about uh, you know, how they make good Scotch, and literally I was talking to this guy. It's like, how do, how do, you, how do you train a cooper? A cooper is a cask maker, you know, a cask with wood and with just steel. Literally, it takes seven years to become a master cooper. It's just wood. Couldn't we just shave it and put things? I mean, seven years. I was in uh, Williamsburg, Virginia, and we went to this, you know, glass blowing thing, you know, they have, and they this guy, you know, with the kids, and he's doing all this glass blowing. So he steps on the side, and I kind of watch I said hey, how long does it take you to kind of understand and do this glass blowing? He said, oh, a minimum of four years. <sighs> four years? I mean, what, what, what is that? But we think we can like equip our men in 12 weeks, that they'll become mature in their character and so on. So it's this relational intentionality that we have that we want to focus on when we see the life of Jesus, life of Paul. Here's one thing I think hopefully you can take home with a a thought of a bucket that you can take home with, and that's this. How do I be intentional about modeling and equipping my men? First of all, I think our denomination is very, very, very strong at knowledge, biblical truth. And what most men's ministry think is, I want to build biblical truth in them. What blows my mind is, is when I think of leaders in the church, we can easily take 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, qualifications of elder, deacon. And if you were to break those out and put those in all four of these characters, which one jumps out the most? Which one is the biggest on the 1 Timothy 3 and Titus list? Character. So what we do is we have our elder training, our deacon training, and we take them through a 10-week class on the Westminster Confession of Faith, but they, don't, they hate their wife, they don't know how to pray with their wife, they can't lead their children, they've never shared their faith in their life. And we're like, hey, these are the guys that are leading our church. So how do we think intentionally to literally build not just knowledge of them, but Christ-like character, skills? So for an example, some guys in my personal discipleship group said, hey, let, uh, how do you pray with your wife? So, you know, I just threw some articles at them and say, you know, here's some great. No. I certainly model for them. Here's how I pray with my wife. Gives them ideas when I pray with my wife. So when I gave them skills to pray with their wife. So I think this is really helpful to think through where am I weak as a church? Maybe where's our women's ministry really strong in these categories, but our men are weak. So it's just a bucket you can think through as you think through the men in your church. Uh, really quickly, for example, knowledge, again, is, is uh, the word of God. Character uh, uh, just was talking through 2 Timothy. This the gentleness and kindness and patience. You know, really, what does that mean? What does that look like to live that out? It's really encouraging. What does it mean? Skills. Uh, my guys, uh, some guys in my personal discipleship group right now, they're young in their faith. And two of them are in their 30s and have a few uh, children. And I said, we're going to learn how to share your faith with lost people. And these two of these four guys in my group go, I'm out. I've never done that. I don't know how to do that. And I said, okay, here's what's going to happen is, I'm just going to tell you, uh, you know, here's your command to go share your gospel and good luck with that. Absolutely not. So what I want to do is I say, how can I model for them? How can I give them some skills? So, for example, I said, guys, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to pray. We're going to pray for lost people in your life. So what I want you to do is I want you to give me a list of five to seven to ten lost people in your life that you'd like to see to come Jesus, whether it's family, whether it's people at work, you know, your neighbors or so on. And they're like, huh. And I said, this one guy raised his hand. He goes, hey, I got to tell you something. You're asking me to pray that I'd be able to share my faith with these people on the list. And he goes, last time I checked, God works so I'm going to actually have to do that. I said, mm-hmm, you're going to actually have to do it. Because when you start praying for lost people, what does God do? He shows up. So we start praying one week for the lost people. Literally, these two guys, I don't know what to do. I don't know how I'm going to do it. The next week, we come back to our discipleship group, and both those guys go, you're not going to believe what happened. I was. This guy's a doctor. He's at work, and he's been helping this guy's a family doctor. He's walking, and he says, hey, physically, I'm doing really bad, but I'm doing everything you tell me. I don't Know what I need in my life, except for religion. What are your thoughts of bringing religion back in my life? That was that week we started praying for lost people. The other guy went to watch football with his brother, and literally, his brother goes, "I see a difference in your life. What is it?" And I said, "Was he on your list?" Yeah, he was. So I gave him some tools, some skills to walk through. I gave him two ways to share their faith. Obviously, I want to work on their testimony. Literally, they have a personal testimony, but I want to give them another skill to share their faith. And now they're excited about it. So it's in categories to think through of how to lead people. Relational discipleship. Yes, oh. I have a question. If you go back to that last slide, how would you, for a um find Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, the question is for a men's group, how would you de- define vision? Thank you. I forgot to do, uh, talk about that one. Vision is a vision for their personal ministry, like for their personal life. Think of roles in your life. So, another one is I want to say, I want a vision if you're a father or a husband or both. What is a vision for your family? And they're saying, well, what do you mean by that? It says, What do you desire and long for for your relationship with your wife? What do you desire and long for for your kids? walk with Christ. Okay. Are you going to have an intentional plan structure to do that? And are you going to do that relationally? Or are you just going to throw pieces of paper? Obviously, as a father, they're going to walk through. So a vision for their personal ministry. Uh, Personal ministry could be where they work in their neighborhood. And they play golf. They show up at a workout gym. How can I give them vision to think God's going to use me in the lives of other people? And obviously, discipling guys, being in Bible study, men's Bible study, or small groups with men and women together, whatever. But to give them vision that God could use them to impact the world. And of course, I love, you know, bringing out acts that uneducated, ordinary men that turn the world upside down. You know your men, and and it's, you bring them a challenge here, um, they're going to come right to that challenge. You bring a challenge here, they're going to come right to that challenge. So, Gray's way about vision is when I'm with guys I'm discipling, or that's in like a men's Bible study or that's like in a mixed men's women's groups, I'm always saying, how can God use you? What's that look like? And part of discipling and having faith as Jesus did relationally is he believed for them. You think I remember how stupid the apostles were? I mean, they didn't quite get it all the time, but he believed for them. He lived for them and he had vision for them. That's what that means. Uh, Thank you very much. And that relational discipleship, again, God, the Trinity, is extremely relational. Comes after us in intentionality. Again, Jesus, I I loved what he gave his life to. I think men get frustrated in their churches because they want to have results of the apostles, but they actually don't want to do the ministry that Jesus did. They want to have results of the apostles. It takes time. It's discipling men and really intentionally getting into their lives, thinking through these categories. I mean, if we went around and says, what would you like to equip a guy in, what would that be? What would biblically you want to equip him, train him in? We would come up with a list of easily about a 1,000 things in Scripture. I mean, just on prayer alone, you could come up like 20. Character, you know, maybe a 100. And what happens is, is we get frustrated because... I give a 12-week class on how to have a great marriage, and the week after, the guy comes in with his wife, and I said, we want to get divorced. And I said, did you not listen to the great training I did for 12 weeks? It was the best stuff in the world. I'm not in the guy's life. I'm not equipping him and loving him. I'm not asking him questions to find out what his weaknesses and struggles are because I'm not relationally and intentionally in his life. And I have to remember here that your life is one of the best curriculum. Uh, One of the things, I'll introduce Ryan here in a minute. One of the things I get pushed back on, especially like shame culture, is I'm scared to lead people because I'm so weak and I sin and I struggle. And I was like, you're going to be the best leader. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You know the best thing you could do? I mean, by the way, anybody having VBS or Bible study for kids or whatever in the summer and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, stuff going on. You know what I long for that? Instead of like giving a kid like a T-shirt or a ribbon or whatever because he memorized scripture, I just love to bring up a kid. It's like, hey, um, he won the award for the summer. Tell us about it. And um, I went and repented back to my parents of not honoring them and respecting them. Oh, great! We're gonna we're gonna award them for repentance. How often do we see that? So you want to live a life of brokenness in front of your people that you're needy for Jesus? That is amazing. How do you do that? You have to live in front of them. A life of repentance, right? A brokenness, a contrite heart. But it takes intentionality and it takes relationship that we keep talking about. Um, And Jesus just continued to, that was his major curriculum. Um, This guy, I remember one time, uh, was asking me, you've taught me how to share your faith. You've showed me how to share your faith, but my biggest struggle is transitioning into spiritual conversations. Like, I don't know how to do that. Like, I have a friend,s we're talking about football, or what? how do you transition? So one time, we're in a one-on-one, we went to this pizza place, and it was packed, they were having like trivia night, so we had to sit up at the bar, and we're sitting there, and we're sitting down next to a guy. So he, the guy in my discipleship group, starts to talk to this guy. And he starts, you know, having a conversation, why are you here, oh, my, my uh, son works here, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, I engage with a guy, and I start asking him questions, and start changing the conversation into spiritual conversation. And about three questions in, the guy might have a subject group. Oh, that's how you do it. But that would have never happened if I hadn't walked with him and in intentional and relational. And remember, your life is part of it as a lift. So here's another thing that we hopefully we can give to you that's going to be very powerful. And that is this. Know your men. Now, guys, if you want to come up with three categories, fantastic. You want to come up with five categories, fantastic. Do that. That's whatever is best for your culture. What we've done just in our committee is we believe that there's kind of four different types of men in your churches. There's non-believers, There's young guys that might be just showing up for Christmas or Easter. They just come to Sunday and they just go home. They actually don't want you to engage their heart. There's other men there you know, they might be involved in a small group, like maturing believers. You know, they might serve in a nursery or whatever it is with their wife, whatever it may be. Those are kind of men. And then there's your multiplying believers. Those guys are really going deep, want to be vulnerable, want to give their lives away, want to invest, lead, and so on. So how do you think for your men? First of all is the word in the middle at the bottom is hurting. All four categories are hurting. Wounded men. Men that are going through pain and struggle. So if you think right now, it's like, okay, here's one great thing to think through is what is in my culture, the men in my church, what's the primary one? Which one of these four is primary in your church? Let's hope it's not the non-believers. That's kind of a joke, but. <laughs> um, so who's the primary men that are go- that, that come to your church? Uh, where are you weak at reaching those? So let me give you some examples of this. Be intentional with all your men. What are your intentional strategies, your structures, your plans to reach all four types of those men? I mean, if you just sit down with your elder, sit down with your ministry team, men's ministry, whatever it may be, and say, hey, guys, we got to think of how are you reaching the four types? And again, if you want to come up with three or five, that's up to you guys. How do we, how are we reaching? How are we equipping? How are we training? How are we ministering to? How are we going engaging those types of men? So, another thing to ask you, where are we strong? Where are we weak? I did this with my men's ministry team just recently, and we, we did it again, we we're like, hey, there's a glaring gap that we're not ministering to. And we want to get after that, and I'll share a little bit that more in a second, about how to literally understand your four types of men. Good questions think through. Now, I want to take the last one, the most mature, that meaning multiplying believers. The best way to reach all four types of your men is to disciple men, to follow the model of Jesus and engage with their hearts. This is where I can go small with a handful of men to equip them like Christ, to take every area of life and every area of the heart and literally equip them and train them to live that out. How to have a devotional uh, in their home with their kids. How to be apologetic in their evangelism. How to, again, how to pray with your wife. How to live a life of repentance. I love to ask men, pastors, how are you living a life of repentance daily? What do you do? Well, what I do is I trust in Jesus and everything. No, show me what you do. How do you live a life of repentance? Do you want your people to live a life of repentance? How are you trained them and equipped them to go live literally a life of repentance? The first of Martin Luther's. What does that look like? Well, man, they're all in. Teach them, train them, give them skills, give them knowledge, give them understanding. So the best way to reach that is to actually figure out how you can have a discipleship ministry in your church. Now, I wish I had literally 10 hours to do that or 10 weeks, but Ryan Brown over here, please stand up. Ryan Brown leads Life on Life at a Perimeter Church, and they train people around the world of how to really get after a discipling man. If you want to be involved in that, contact Ryan afterward, go on lifeonlife.org. And if some of you are thinking, oh, I know what that is, they're going to throw some curriculum at me. If you talk to this guy for a while, that's 5% of what they do. They actually teach you how Jesus loved his men, how he selected his men, how he equipped his men, how he modeled in front of his men, and how to live a life of repentance. So I'd encourage you to contact Ryan and so on. Now, let's get very practical here. So let's look at these other three, and you say, how in the world are we going to understand how to reach all four of our guys? So that's why I want to kind of hit here and have some discussion, have some examples, and so on. So let me tell you what we're wrestling with and what we're trying to do in our culture. Why did I say know your men's culture first? I'll come to that. Relational strategies for combining two, three, or all four of types of men, and relational on ramp. So, for example, uh, I'm in South Nashville. We're like, how can we have not to be program-driven, if you saw on a, I saw the little word of programs, big word of discipleship, but how can we use events and everything to point to that relational, intentional discipleship? So we have things like this. We literally will have, for men, per quarter, we'll have a thing called, and we call it different stuff, but mainly call it theology on tap. Now, some of you guys, that won't work in our culture. Then don't do that. Call it Theology Thursday. We call it sometimes that. We literally will have guys come, and, you know, they'll come and bring some beer or whatever. They have pizza and everything, and we have extra guys show up. But you can invite a non-Christian to that, and uh, the other pastor of the church and myself will have the mic, and we'll just say, hey, guys, you can ask anything you want to. Do dogs go to heaven? Why is Buddha wrong or right? I mean and what is bring and, and all our guys in our church will bring non-christians to it. We had this other thing uh, to say how can we gain and bring people of all four levels or types excuse me men in the church. And we had a thing that was awesome it was called breaking bread and slinging lead. Now in South Nashville you can do that. Some of your you got to understand your culture. So we invited a bunch of people over donuts went out to this huge huge guy's farm. And we told people to bring their guns. Now, I thought we were starting some kind of militia or coup for a while. Some guys brought snipers. He was, he was involved in the SWAT team for Nashville. And I'm like, this is absolutely insane. But think about, but bringing non-Christians to that, super awesome. Bringing immature Christians to that, it was unbelievable. We have, um, for the summer, we have men's studies, like a Bible study. And what we do is, is um, uh, several summers, we've gone through Band of Brothers, We'll watch an episode of Band of Brothers. We'll get around a table, like, so let's just say 100 guys in a room, and we'll have, you know, six guys at a table. And we'll watch that, and then we'll have questions, you know, that really gets after, really, what's the truth behind this? How do we really live for Christ and so on? We bring non-Christians, young Christians to that. But every table leader are people who are maturing believers that want to disciple people in their future, so it's a selection, one selection tool that we use for the entire summer. Right now, we're going through from Earth to the Moon. It's, an, it's a Tom Hanks and Ron Howard thing that won a bunch of Emmys and everything about the Apollo series. And we're really watching That's It's fascinating. But we sit around the table, and there's people who are new to our church that come. I mean, literally, a guy on Sunday, I sit up there and preach and said, hey, why don't you come Tuesday night? Two new guys came to our church, came on a Tuesday night to this and I was like, this is awesome to getting guys that are new in the church. So you've got to think in your culture of how to do that and do different things. Obviously, men's retreats, uh, men's events, and what is touching? So we'll, ha- we'll do something, and we'll go, hey, what did we miss here? That might be good for only two of the groups, and we'll keep it, and that's awesome. But we might say, we're missing this. How do we go out and reach these four types of men in our church? Um, I want to bring up now uh, Bobby, uh, who's in uh, northern Virginia. And uh, don't turn that on yet. Hold on one second, Bobby. Uh, Bobby's going to share about just kind of this revelation that he figured out. He's like, we've got this men's thing we're doing, but there's these major gaps that we're missing. And he jumped in and says, hey, here's how God has led us to do that. So I want Bobby to share.
2: Thank you for waking up <laughs> this early to come join us. I know we're all here because we basically need to figure it out, right? We're leading the church. We don't have enough time. Discipleship feels like, how do I add that on top of everything that I do? And, but it's important because your men are walking away from the church, especially the young men. And so we had to figure out how are we going to tackle this problem, but it wasn't going to happen because we slap another program, another book. You're never going to solve your church's issues with another program, another book. And so for us, we're struggling to mature and equip the men at our church. So we needed to deal with their idolatry. Basically, in their hearts, there's something happening that they're running to to find their worth and joy. They're looking for their living water in broken cisterns. And we're figuring out, how do you address that? How would men who were taught either to be aggressive so no one ever gets at you or be super passive because you're so broken, you can't imagine speaking up or living. How do you address all of these men with all of these wounds? And so um, what happened with me began to take hold in my heart that there was a youth pastor who was in my life. You know what his ministry was? He took me to Popeye's and we ate a box of chicken together. You buy 11, you get 11 for free and we killed it. (laughs) But during that time, he would actually invite me to his house. I would watch him as he would love his children. I would sit with him as he fought with his wife and the awkwardness that ensued afterwards. And I remember sitting in the car with him and I looked at him as a youth student and I said, I think you were wrong. You need to apologize to your wife. And this grown man looked at me and said, You're right, Bob. We went to Giant, bought flowers, returned to his home. He gave it to his wife and said, I am sorry. I learned two things. He's humble before God. He never looks at himself as someone who is not in need of grace. And he showed me what it is to have courage. And you know what that did? That healed my father wounds. My dad, who is a non-believer, who worked as an immigrant at a restaurant, never seeing him, would only display anger. So I became passive. These are the wounds that we all carry in our hearts, and we're trying to figure out, how do I become a man, and there's no one showing me how to do it? And so because of that, We live in a life of this vicious cycle. Maybe I need to be more aggressive to be a man. Maybe I need to find um, a way for me to find my worth. What program? How can I rise in my company? How can I rise in my ministry? But I think there's a better way. And so we needed to figure out the better way. So the question that I was asking at my church is, how do I give vision for my men to be in life with other men, like my youth pastor? because he used the gospel to heal my father wounds. And that, in turn, gave me compassionate courage. What you're looking for in your men is to have backbones of steel, but that can only come if they begin to find healing through the love of a man who says, I'm going to walk with you. And every wound that you have, every insecurity you show, I'm not going to walk away from you, but I'm going to actually walk towards you. And then I'm going to tell you how we're going to approach this thing together. This changes your heart because in it, you begin to see Jesus. Every time you open the Bible and you begin to look at what he did, you begin to say, Jesus was compassionate and courageous. I want to be the same. But it takes that man to come into your life and says, you're worth it. You're worth years of my life meeting frequently, often, intentionally to love you when you're broken and you can't love yourself. That's what we need. And I'm asking you, is a program going to fix that? Has it ever fixed it for you or your church? It hasn't. And so, wrestling with everything, reading every book known to mankind, I came across Randy Pope's video and I was like, I want that. What is this thing where men are in lives of other men? And so I began to figure out how do we get then all men of all stages of life to work? And so this is our onboarding process. You have to be intentional and think through how can we reach every man? And so what we came up with are the three doors at our church. And the first door is our community groups. And so in this way, some men will show up because their wives are like, I'm going to community group and you're coming with me. We're taking our kids, and we're going to hang out with people who also have babies that are screaming all the time. And so these men show up sitting there, and they're like, oh, my God, what is this? And you have to figure out a way. How can you reach those guys who are there just because their wives told them they have to be there? You know how they're going to be reached? If there is a compelling, courageous, compassionate leader leading that community group. And then we have the men's ministry and women's ministry, which is kind of the middle way where men actually sign up. And they say, you know what? I've been part of a community group, and I've been hanging out. And I, you know that guy who leads my group? He seems so courageous, and yet he's so grace-filled and compassionate. I want to be more like him. And he said, how do I do that? Oh, maybe men's ministry. There's fireside chats. We sit there. We drink bourbon. Maybe some have a cigar. And then we talk about big, substantial issues. Why am I addicted to pornography? Why am I struggling with insecurity? Why do men run over me? And as you discuss that, somehow the other men say, hey, I'm just like that. How do we find our way back to who Jesus is? And then the next part of our door so the second door is our men's ministry where it's all gender specific and they come in the wives and the kids are not there fireside chat other men vulnerability sharing who's going to lead that group someone who's compassionate and courageous who has that same discipleship in their dna how do they get that because somebody invested in them And how do we find these men? Is our last door, the smallest door. Through selection, through prayer, men choose three to four other men to invest in for three years. Let me tell you, and I'll finish with this. I chose four men for three years. One of them had walked away from the church for over ten years. He asked me to have coffee. I sat with him and I answered every question of all the church wounds he has, the father wounds he has, and he just poured out his heart and I ate with him. He called me again. I met with him again three times, four times, and then the Lord put it in my heart, ask him to be in your discipleship. I was like, he hasn't been in church in 10 years. I don't think he's a good candidate. I'm not an expert, but Lord, I think you're wrong. Then he wouldn't leave me alone for weeks, months. He was like, take him in, take him in, take him in, take God. I don't have the bandwidth for this. Just take him in. <laughs> Fine. And I sat with him, I asked him, and it has been the greatest privilege of my life. As the girl he was dating, who's a non-believer in a Muslim family, came to faith because he decided. He wanted to be pure in that relationship, and he wanted to grow, and she got saved and is a baptized member of our church. How powerful is that? The second, addicted to gambling. I had to drive with one of my other fellow pastors, casino to casino, because his wife called me and said, I don't know where he is. And so I would drive, and I found him, and he said, I want to die. Why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep destroying my family? And I said, when you don't have strength, the four of us will walk with you like the four men who carried the broken man to Jesus. And to this day, he talks about that. He said, four men carried me when I couldn't walk anymore. My other guy, pastor, probably going to be one of the best church planners in the world. But every time we would have these so-called meetings, discipleships, he would begin to share about his wife and his kids. And he'd be like, you know, but I'm okay. I'm praying, repenting, you know, God. It's all good. And then, of course, because I'm his disciple, I was like, hey, what do you mean you're okay? Why do you keep dodging it? And he's like, oh. (laughs) And I was like, let's talk about it. So what are you going to do tomorrow to love your kid? And I would keep him committed, accountable to that action. We would text and be like, did you do it? And like, I didn't do it this week. Then I would be like, hey, what are you going to do this week? And just again, because I was in his life. And after three years, he said, without these men, I would have never addressed my suppression of need to change the way I relate to my kid and the way I relate to my wife. It took three years of men coming after my heart because he was good at everything he does. And the last guy, and he's a funny one, and he just said, just got married, just had a kid, but he was like, I didn't know I needed four dudes to make my marriage work. (laughs) I didn't know. Like, no one told me when I joined the church that I needed four dudes for the rest of my life to love my wife well and to love my daughter well. But the reality is I need it. And so he's multiplying out this year, and he said, for the rest of my life, I will disciple men, not because I want to bestow something on them, but because I need this accountability. This is the only way we're going to begin to transform our church.
0: You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.